And I'm, you know, I've been studying blues history for years and years and going to shows and listening to music, of course. And uh, there's a lot of songs about death and dying. Yeah. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a lot of honesty and integrity in the, in the music genre. Uh, I mean, it's just part of life, you know, but we do our best to escape it and to avoid it and to pretend it's not going to happen to us. And it, it's yep. just a matter of fact reality, but it's really difficult to to journey it, to think about it, to want to deal with it at all. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I'm, yeah. I'm here at a funeral and I, I mean, I was shocked at how different, I mean, I'd attended a couple of funerals in my life before this okay. and it was just, it was just night and day for me. And even my aunt, she was the most settled, you know, I mean, just v- very much at peace and you could see the difference of what faith in Jesus made for her. Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. everybody and welcome to intersect i'm your host the train here broadcasting live from the intersect studio in nashville tennessee we have a great great show for you today with a fabulous guest uh before i introduce him though um need to take care of business here and thank the people at pitbull audio and studio instrument rentals major sponsors of the intertalk radio network and to all the people over at Innovative Percussion here in Nashville, they make uh, really, really great drumsticks, folks. Take my word for it. I love their sticks. love what they do. Uh, but today, uh, we have with us uh, one Mr. Glenn Kaiser. He's a Christian musician, singer, songwriter, and pastor. Glenn was the leader of the Resurrection Band, known by their many fans as the Rez Band, and is currently leading a band under his own name, the Glenn Kaiser Band, or GKB, uh, with Roy Montroy on bass and Ed Balick on drums. Uh, many of you listening to the show today know Glenn from his life in the Jesus People USA community in Chicago and his involvement in the creation of of the Cornerstone Music Festival that was held annually around the 4th of July from 1984 to 2012. It had its start at the Lake County Fairgrounds near Gray's Lake, where I first met Glenn in Illinois, and in 1991 it moved near Bushnell, Illinois. That was a great location as well. I have to say, maybe my favorite of the two. But anyway, I miss that. 
I miss that festival. I miss hanging out with all those great people uh, that converged on that festival every year. And uh, I want to thank you, Glenn, for um, for all your many years of working that festival and 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 just getting people together and keeping us all, you know, in the straight and narrow. And I want to thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it very much. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Glenn Kaiser, how you doing? Well, I'm doing well, bro. Thanks a lot. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, what can I say? Uh, a lot of grace, man, over a lot of years. And but before you interview yeah. me, bro, I, I I don't know if you're I don't know if you're fans on even. How did you get the moniker A Train? <laughs> Ah, uh, that was uh, seventy-seven. That was Mike. Mike. That was Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe. Just you know, in a moment of creativity and you know, playing us, playing a show, and you know, it was time for my drum solo. He just blurted out, "Here's the A train," and it stuck. Yeah. Well, I don't remember you ever giving a big performance at at the festival or anywhere else I've seen you. So there you go. All right, my man. Fire away, and thanks for the opportunity. To, yeah, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity to chat so, today, man. Go for it. Yeah, man. Uh, so uh, you're still in Chicago, right? Yes, sir. Inner city, uh, uptown, which is about mm, our area is about specifically about three blocks west of Lake Michigan. Um, let's let me put it to you this way: it is the last neighborhood melting pot. I mean, just a a complete miss mismosh of every kind of ethnicity, racial background, Hispanic, African American. The Native American Indian Center is about four blocks from our building. Uh, Thai, Cambodian refugees in the area, uh, hipsters. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it goes on and on. We we have homeless folks living in tents uh, under the viaduct under the bridge of Lakeshore Drive about. Two and a half blocks away. We do a lot of work with them, and yeah. you know, just it's it's it is what it is. Nine millimeter, a uh, whole lot of folks shooting at people. Uh, you know, warring over drug turf. Let's just say mm-hmm. it's a very interesting place to live. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll say, but that's that's where you've always been, right? Since you, since going to well, Chicago, you know, you know, I mean. The community began technically up in Milwaukee as an outreach of a group of Jesus freaks uh, in mm-hmm. in, uh, in seventy one, and we had three traveling teams, and, and ours was one of them. And the bro who was in charge, really a good man back in in Milwaukee, ended up passing away uh, from cancer, and there was no home base anymore to go back to. And we ended up doing a lot of traveling, and then. Ended up in the inner city here of Chicago uh, over Christmas break, visiting relatives around Wisconsin and northern Illinois and whatever. And people heard we were back in his neck of the woods and invited Rez Band to do shows and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it became clear that Chicago needed, well, we didn't, (laughs) this was the last place a bunch of Jesus hippies wanted to stay, right? But, (laughs) But so many people were so broken. And so many people were open to the good news, and uh, we saw so many lives change. It became more of a conviction that this is where we needed to be. And so a couple of local churches, one in particular, opened their doors. 
they were sort of a dying fellowship with a big old building. And uh, as time went on, we were able to get our own uh, properties, do some renting, you know, and we put together mm-hmm. businesses to help support what we were doing. And so mm-hmm. we've been in, in the inner city of Chicago right here in Uptown. Uh, I think we've made like four moves, but it's all been right within a couple of miles. And and uh, since uh, about March of 72, this has been home. Great. Now, now you... You grew up in Milwaukee, correct? Yeah, well, yeah, I was born and raised in the sticks, man. And uh, there were three generations of German immigrants, and many of them were farmers, right? And so uh, south-central Wisconsin out in, uh, in the woods and fields and farm country. And then my dad, uh, well, he kept getting promotions, and uh, then eventually he quit because he wanted to be home with his wife and kids more. Immediately after he got sick, had a series of operations we lost everything and uh we're on welfare hmm. for about three and a half years up there and it was like hunt and fish and pick berries to eat so i actually my background is actually more uh, in the sticks in, in that time and then when i was nine moved with my mother and older brother to west dallas which is a working class suburb of milwaukee and then uh, mm-hmm. my parents got a divorce uh, my mother left my dad went out to commit adultery and got involved with some guy and well, let's just say that from that point on, I it was dope, sex, and music for me. That was pretty much my life, and until I turned eighteen. But yeah, growing up in that in that suburb, in inner city Milwaukee, and you know, I hitchhiked to Madison. Uh, we all call Mad City, you know, to to do dope deals, small time mm. dealing, and blah blah. And so you know, my life was pretty much, I mean, literally dope, sex, and music from the time time I turned about to oh, thirteen, fourteen ish, right up until. Uh, I came to uh, saving faith in Jesus, which was like two weeks before my 18th birthday. So, when did you start playing in bands and playing music? Well, I, I started playing when I was 12, start? Aaron. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I was 12 years old, Aaron. And like a lot of people my age, saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, and freaked out. <laughs> and I had always sort of been singing. Um, I was afraid of the dark, you know. And uh, at one point, when my parents were separated and my my brother and sister were out running around outside of a little town called Fox Lake, Wisconsin, before we moved to the Milwaukee area. Uh, I would be coming home to a dark house at night. And uh, mm. matter of fact, the lady had, had, had hung herself, an old woman, uh, the house right before ours. And that was like the last street light, right? And then I'm in the middle of the dark all the way up the hill to this big old farmhouse uh, surrounded by fields and nothing kind of spooky and I'd be praying kind of and, and singing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know who God was or if God was, but, and I started singing and, and the lyrics would sort of rhyme and came to find out years later, my mother had won singing contests in Milwaukee as a kid. And, uh, mm-hmm. my dad had actually played, uh, uh, soprano sax with Fred McMurray, man, in a dance band <laughs> in, uh, <Really? laughs> in, in Wisconsin as a kid. So anyway, it was in my DNA, but I didn't know it. So mm-hmm. I pestered my mother at 12 and finally got a guitar and an amp. And the first band, I think I was, I was in 13 and uh, started writing. In fact, the first song I wrote at 13 was called Don't Lie to Me. And uh, that'll tell you a lot about where I'm, where I'm still coming from in my life. It's, yeah. you know, it's the, the integrity factor, right? So, so, um, you know, did, um, 
how did the divorce affect you? I mean, was was that did that lead to the drugs, or was it the the band, or was it a combination of both the music scene, family life, and all that sort of stuff? Well, it was yeah, a combination of all of the above. I mean, I was one of the few guys that could sing that I know of, anyway, in the Metro Milwaukee area. I mean, between between you know, like thirteen and just about eighteen, I was in about sixteen bands. Uh, I started and led one of them, I think, uh, right at the end, mm-hmm. and the rest I was singing in, right? And but I was always four or five years younger than everybody else, almost almost every band, and almost every mm-hmm. person involved in those groups. And uh, so you know, people were getting into into dope. It was the the hippie movement, the freak scene. Uh, summer love and so on. And, you know, I look when there's a scripture that says without hope and without God in the world. And that was me. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I got, I had nothing. I didn't trust nobody. And, um, why not go for a little pleasure on the way out? So, you know, little by little, I, you know, did the new year's Eve, started getting blasted, uh, drinking everything I could and eventually smoking uh, grass and hash and then eventually acid and, I did everything except shoot, uh, everything, every way you could do any drug except with needles. And, uh, mm-hmm. right at the end of mm-hmm. all that is when I, uh, I decided I was going to start running up heroin with needles. And, uh, at that point God showed up. So yeah, it, I mean, it was a combination of feeling empty of, uh, <laughs> of completely dysfunctional family. I mean, Hey, three, three quarters, something mm-hmm. like that of the people on my block and in, in that nice little word class suburb of West Alice, Wisconsin, were divorced. Um, hmm. You know, there was incest going on with kids. Uh, people were, you know, I, my best buddy, we'd be walking down the street and he'd say, which car do you like? And I'd say, that's pretty cool. Never even thinking twice about what he was talking about. Later on at night, he'd pick me up. It was dark. I'd get in a car and drive down the road with the dude. And I realized he'd stolen the car. He hotwired it, you know. Oh, man. So, I mean, I was... I was hanging with thieves and uh, druggies and crazies and, you know, between the musicians I was hanging with. And and when Hendrix said, there ain't no life nowhere, that and Dylan, Dylan's line, it's a house, not a home. Those were the two mm-hmm. truest truths that, <laughs> that I believed <laughs> up until I realized who was talking uh-huh. when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he didn't want to talk about me. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, so, you know, it, it, it just took a while. It, it, you know, you got to eat gravel. Yeah. Some of us have to hit the wall pretty hard, and that's, that's right. what happened. Right, Yeah. So how did God show up for you? Well, a number of things went down. I I, I hate to even mention this because God only knows when, when it's going to come about. I've been working on an e-book. And uh, if it, if I do it, and if it's if I ever do it and finish it, it deals with about three months of that, just three months, and maybe a little overlap, not much, of thing after thing after thing that happened. It's a very long story, but when I came to a point of of faith in in Jesus, um, it was uh, it was after a few overdoses and a suicide mm-hmm. attempt. And, uh, man, at one point, uh, I literally had two girlfriends and was in three bands at the same time. And I still wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy. I wasn't at peace in my gut and in my heart. Uh, everybody I knew was essentially a train wreck, you know, just dysfunctional. And, uh, 
I looked in the mirror and realized, you know, I was the biggest misery that, I mean, I couldn't, it's the old blind Willie Johnson tune I do mm-hmm. from time to time. Nobody's fault but mine. You know what I mean? Nobody's it's, fault but mine. Yeah. Yeah, man. Nobody put a gun to my head to become an addict. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody forced me to make the choices I made. And uh, so, yeah, one night I, I broke down and just one little, one little thing that I'll mention uh, that became pivotal. Um, just before moving to Milwaukee, to the big city from the sticks, uh, some sweet little old ladies hauled me off to a vacation Bible school one summer in a little Lutheran church, man. And every kid had to memorize a verse right over. It was like five, six Saturday sessions and had me memorize John three sixteen. And, uh, it all came down to this night. Uh, I had been kind of white knuckling, not doing dope or drink or anything for a couple of weeks. And, uh, oh, among other things, my uncle passed away that night. And a few things went mm. down, and I found myself talking to God out loud and uh, just saying, look, I know you're here. Um, I know you're in this house. I know you're trying to tell me something, and I don't get it. And boom, right then, mm. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, man. All of a sudden, man, for God so loved Glenn for the first time. Yeah. Like the lights came on. Uh, that he gave his only uh, perfect son, begotten son, whosoever, me, whosoever would believe in him. Uh, yeah. which means trust in and, and cling to and rely on um, will not perish but have everlasting life. That that verse flashed through my mind after all those years, I mean, just out of nowhere. And yeah. at that moment, it was like, you're getting ripped off. I wouldn't make this deal. I mean, this is so one-sided. How many people's <laughs> lives have I ruined? You know, I mean, what a mess I've made of everything. And yeah. all I had was a deep sense of, of grace, of acceptance, of love. and. Uh, uh, you know, no angels marching in the room, nothing. And uh, I was as straight as could be. Mm. I hadn't done nothing for, as I say, about two weeks. And I broke down. And I'll tell you what, wow. when I went with my aunt to my uncle's funeral a few days later, I, I can't even explain how I felt and how different everything was. Um, mm-hmm. He apparently knew the Lord, and uh, and she did. And I well, mean, Glenn, everybody else Glenn, in like. Let's stop right here for a minute. We sure, got to go to sure. the commercial break. And uh, we're going to pick it up right there when we come back, folks. Thank you all for hanging in there and listening. Thank you, Glenn, for being here. Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. Join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. 
I'm Tim Dolbear, the host of Sound Experience on Intertalk Radio. Each week, I talk with top professional audio engineers, producers, musicians, and the manufacturers that make the tools that we use in the studio each and every day. From capturing the perfect take to mastering your final release and the tools and how the pros use them, we are going to dive deep into their process and learn from their experience. I look forward to you joining us each week on Sound Experience with me, your host, Tim Dolbear. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al DiMiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be the music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge, with your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Folks, that's my guest, Mr. Glenn Kaiser. And um, just before we went on commercial break here, um, Glenn was telling us about his experience at his uncle's funeral after his conversion. And um, I just want to ask you, Glenn, to uh, you know just take your time, tell us these stories. We want we want all the details we can get. Because <laughs> no, man, you that don't. first segment. You, you... No, no, you don't. You really don't want all the details, man. <laughs> I mean, I would. We would be here till midnight tomorrow. You know, I mean. Just, well, you know, just, we are doing another hour. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, the deal is, I mean, I think one of those great defining and refining things is showing up at a funeral, and of course, I don't mean your own. <laughs> Uh, I don't expect to be at mine either, right? But but it's one of the things where it's one of the things where you see. I mean, you have to judge anybody. Just just walk around, you know. I mean, just observe with with compassion and grace. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I went there for my aunt, you know, whose dear husband of fifty four years just had major heart attacks, and that was that. And but that night that he passed was the night I, I came to Saving Faith. And matter of fact, I asked her if I could join her to go to church on that following Sunday. And she just very warmly, absolutely. I'm telling you what, I understood every word for the first time. I mean, I hardly had anything to do with church before that anyway. But it's just one of those things where people look so shot, so messed over, you know. And 
People can't mm-hmm. wait to get loaded, to get drunk, to do something, get out mm-hmm. of there. And uh, it was packed out because he had a lot of friends and, you know, they'd, they'd lived some good years and uh, family members are all there and whatever. And everybody's looking like they got punched in the gut. And of course they're sad mm. and they're, and they're shocked. Right. I mean, he, this was, I think his second or third heart attack. So in one way it wasn't any major surprise, but I think death ups the ante, you know, and it was actually, I mean, I got very involved in singing and playing blues. I played, you know, sang and played harp. I, I played drums, bass as well. And, guitar, of course, and blues bands, slide guitar and all the rest of it, prior to coming to faith. But, I mean, studying blues, it, it never struck me quite as deeply as after all of this happened. And, I'm, you know, I've mm-hmm. been studying blues history for years and years and reading every book I could and going to shows and listening to music, of course. And uh, there's a lot of songs about death and dying. Yeah. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's a lot of honesty and integrity in the in the music genre. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's got its schlock and whatever, like every music style. But lyrically, there's a lot about death and dying, and it's just part of life, you know. But we do our best to escape it and to avoid it and to pretend it's not going to happen to us. And it, it's yep. just a matter of fact reality. But it's really difficult to to journey it, to think about it, to want to deal with it at all. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I'm, yeah. I'm here at a funeral and I, I mean, I was shocked at how different, I mean, I attended a couple of funerals in my life before this okay. and it was just, it was just night and day for me. And even my aunt, she was the most settled, you know, I mean, just v- very much at peace and you could see the difference of what faith in Jesus made for her. And I, I shocked myself in the way I felt. I wasn't sure, you know, how I was going to navigate it. And, uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. that was the beginning of a lot of changes. I mean, I would love to say that all of the addictions just went, you know, went bye-bye overnight. They didn't. Um, a lot of the sexual, most of the sexual addictions in my life did. Um, uh, I stopped doing any kind of chemicals. Uh, I still got drunk from time to time. I still uh, really, um, one of my drugs of choice was, was hash. We had a lot of opiated and snack dusted uh, hashish up in my neck of the woods and uh, uh, back and forth. And uh, so this was in January of 71. By September that year, uh, it was one of those quiet moments. <laughs> and uh, just in my heart, the Lord just said, Hey, you, you know, I'm not a smorgasbord. Uh, I'll take savior mm-hmm. and best friend and, and merciful, you know, father, but let's not talk about being Lord of my life, you know, of your life, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you still want to call your own shots, man. This is uh this is spiritual <laughs> yeah. kindergarten. I don't want you to be camping here, you know? So all of a sudden, mm-hmm. uh, over that nine month period, uh, you know, a number of things went down in my life where I realized this ain't just pray a prayer and live your life. It's, it really is relationship. And it really is about, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And, and what he says mm-hmm. is pretty clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, if all you did was take John 15, chapter 15, and, you know, took a bath in that about every day for a month, you'd, you'd get exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really a love relationship that, that's lived out. And for me, Aaron, 
probably the best analogy, and I've used it for a lot of years in a lot of places. Um, You know, Wendy and I, my wife and I are coming up on 45 years of marriage in June. And congratulations. I mean, thank you. So what's love got to do with it? Everything, man, (laughs) especially God's love, (laughs) because this woman is the real deal. I mean, yeah, she looks and she cooks, eh? but this woman loves the Lord and knows him, and, and I love him and know him. And, and his love is deeper than, than anything, deeper than friendship, deeper than sexual love, deeper than the fact we've got all these kids and grandkids and so on. I mean, it's deeper than the fact we've been involved in, in mission and music for years. I, I, it's hard to express in, in words. but. Well, as I'll often say, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so I'm married, man. The ink's dry, right? I mean, it's at the courthouse up there in Wisconsin, and I've been wearing these rings for coming up on 45 years. All right. But today, right now, are my thoughts married? Are my eyes married? What I do with other women, other men, my own body, the web, married. I mean, there's married and there's married, right? Eh? And, and so people, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of folks say, well, I believe in God, or I prayed the prayer, or whatever. I asked Jesus in my life. That's great. What does that mean? I mean, you got a room full of guitars. You never practice. You never use a tuner. Are you a guitarist? I mean, you may believe in guitars, man, but what does that mean? And so that disconnect that, that, that definitely was a part of that first nine months and hey, has popped up from time to time ever since. Mm. No doubt about that. I need grace mm-hmm. and mercy every day. We all do. We're not talking about sinless perfection here, but 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 integrity, right. honesty. You know what I mean? And this is why I keep coming back to blues. Mm-hmm. I guess that's part of the reason it's such in my in my heart, and my guts, because there, there has to be there has to be genuineness and, and authenticity. Otherwise, it's just an act. It's just words. It's just. I don't know. I hear dollar signs coming out my, my radio or something, you know, it's like, what? So what? Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I guess maybe I think sometimes I, I didn't do, I didn't do my old life. I'm God. I'm the dude. Everything centers around me. I didn't do that on one or two. I did it on 10 and I wasn't going to do Jesus mm-hmm. in any genuine way on three and a half. And, um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I'm married, but am I married? I know him, but Mm -hmm. do I walk with him? And how does his relationship in my life affect how I do what I do, how I interact with other people? And I don't care who they are, you know. doesn't matter where they come Mm -hmm. from or what their attitude toward me is. It's on me. It's on me to reflect his love. I mean, and that's the, that's the kicker. You know, that's, that's. So yeah, uh, it's uh, it's like we can't sit, so, sit in kindergarten for the rest of our lives. You know what I mean? Right. So how did you how did you uh, eventually get uh, meet the people in uh, Chapuza, Milwaukee? How did that come about? I mean, they had a little a little underground newspaper, right? Back in the day, R. Crumb and you know, all the cool little rags going around the country. Well, these folks had one called Street Level. And uh, it, all of a sudden it showed up uh, among a few friends, somebody somebody that I knew who knew I had made some kind of a commitment to Jesus. 
showed it to me. And it had cartoons and stuff and some scripture and, you know, some Bible study and stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. I'm like, okay, these people are downtown, down in um, the Freak District, down on Brady Street. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd hung out down there a lot, but I, hadn't, I didn't know they were anywhere around our area. And so I started hanging out down there. And we had a coffee house. I started showing up. Ended up getting baptized in Lake Michigan in May up in Milwaukee. Let me tell you, bro, that's commitment. <laughs> we're talking, we're talking cold, baby. Everything but yeah, ice, you baby. Know. Oh, that was intense, but it was amazing. It was amazing. And, uh, yeah, so I started going to prayer meetings and they had bands playing and, uh, uh acoustic players and, uh, pretty powerful stuff. A, a lady from a band called it's a beautiful day, uh, out in the Bay area. Uh, had basically, she'd moved moved on from that band, basically come back to Milwaukee to uh, to run up uh, heroin and, uh, you know, go ahead and die. And hmm. somebody kept talking to her about Jesus, and she finally gave her life to the Lord and got free uh, from addiction and joined that community. And they had a band called The Sheep, and uh, Mike and Mary Dammer were still, uh, were still at it up in Wisconsin. And some amazing people that, that I got to know who their whole lives have been turned upside down. I mean, you know, they still wore what they wore as far as clothes and, you know, I mean, the culturally and subculturally music and I mean, it was no big deal to burn incense or, you know, blow bubbles or go to street mm-hmm. concerts or do those things. But mm-hmm. um, they really had a genuine relationship with Jesus. Uh, they searched out the scriptures daily. They had a prayer life uh, and they were, they weren't obnoxious, but they were bold. They were open to sharing their faith, and they did. And so I started hanging out with those guys, and that's how I found out. And eventually moved in, as I say, about about the 18th of September of uh, of 1972. I graduated in early June, and and uh, after back and forth a bit like a yo-yo, like I was saying in the summertime, I was like, "That's it. I quit. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I need to really. I need to tune." My spiritual guitar, man. <laughs> so they had, left. they had a, so they had, they had a community there in Milwaukee uh, that's like what you have in Chicago, where yes, everybody yes, was yes. very, living. very similar. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Whenever Jesus houses all over the country, you know, um, uh-huh. all over the country, and uh, so yeah, they started with uh, just a handful of folks, and it grew and it grew and it grew. And more and more people were making commitments to the Lord and um, showing up in the coffee house. And one of the cool things about these folks is they never had an attitude against the traditional churches. They recognized, mm. as as mm-hmm. we have right through till this day, that there are mm-hmm. there are good and godly people and complete yahoos <laughs> in every church and denomination <laughs> and house church mm-hmm. and Jesus people, including ours. I mean, you know, so they, nothing nothing surprising. But um, realized that God was bigger than the church and that he Mm -hmm. knows exactly how to write on each of our wall and show himself to us. And uh, if we're willing to seek him, he'll show up. He's been showing up in my Mm -hmm. life right on through. So there it is, you know. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So uh, you you get you join uh, a band there. You meet Wendy there, correct? Yeah, well, I met Wendy 
Um, you know, probably the first time I noticed her was in the middle of September there, a little after, a couple of weeks afterwards after I moved in and, and the sheep were rolling along, but they, they needed another group. There, there were a lot of opportunities to do concerts. Uh, you know, I'm talking parks, mm-hmm. beaches, churches, wherever, coffee houses and, uh, university gigs and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so people in leadership put a call out and it's funny because we had a lot of musicians, but after a couple of weeks um, of really thinking and praying it through, and you know, I'd given all my gear away to to them and some other folks I knew, and I just got away from music because music to me had been one more one more idol. I mean, nobody taught me that, or you know, nobody laid nothing on me. It was just a, a deep personal mm-hmm. conviction that I had to lay it down for a time. And anyway, they folks in leadership asked me to pick it up to give it a shot and. So we put together the origins of what became Resurrection Band, and um, and then uh, Wendy uh, and and John and, and the rest, uh, you know, little by little, and uh, started doing blow your brains in rock uh, about oh, mm-hmm. move move from kind of folky stuff right into blow your face off uh, yeah. rock. Probably about March of seventy two. Uh, was there any, uh, was that all right? Did you get any uh, kickback from that? Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, th- look, they loved us or they hated us. I mean, musically, <laughs> God knows we were just, I mean, <laughs> we had a lot to learn, all of us, including me, even though I've been doing music my whole life. I mean, so, you know, we were pretty flaky, uh, but we did our best. And, mm-hmm. but it was so unique at that point, you know, I mean, you, there were a handful mm-hmm. of bands that were doing full on rock, putting some sort of Christian worldview or actual scripture into the lyrics and stuff. We were one of those few. And so, you know, people loved us or hated us. And uh, literally it went one way or the other. And that included a lot of folks in the churches. And I yeah. mean, so there were pastors or congregational members that thought they couldn't believe how cool it was. and drug all their friends and enemies to these concerts and stuff. But then there were mm-hmm. others that were like, you guys are demonized. You're out of your mind. How can you do that style of music? And I saw it coming before even putting the band together. Uh, uh, actually sat on a hillside with Wendy uh, prior to knowing that she was going to be, or thinking that she'd even be a part of the group. And we were engaged at the time. And I said, you know, honey, if, uh, if this all happens, there are going to be people preaching against us by name. Uh, they're not going to get it, and okay. they're not going to want to get it. Glenn, we got we to break again for a commercial, but uh, hold that thought. Folks, don't go anywhere. This is good stuff here. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Tim Dolbear, host of Sound Experience here on Intertalk Radio. And Source Connect by Source Element is the essential tool that we use to link between my studio in Austin, Texas, and the WS radio station in San Diego. Now, with Source Connect, not only can we communicate in real time and with HD audio, but it's synced up and is of a high enough quality that I can use it for real-time ADR work, remote recording and overdubbing, and it even allows me to remotely control a DAW. Source Connect by Source Element. Affordable, high-quality audio and video connection over the Internet for all of your production needs. You know what's all around you every waking moment of your life? Marketing. You're choking on it. I'm Scott Robertson, and when it comes to strategic PR, branding, and marketing, I've seen it all. And actually, I'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps. 
join me each week on May the Best Brand Win right here on Intertalk Radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable. Make this your vinyl night. I'm John J.R. Robinson, and every week, music creation comes alive through stories, experiences, and sounds when vinyl records filled our hearts and minds. My friends and I share our tips and techniques used in creation of iconic tracks for recording artists such as Michael Jackson, Eric Clapton, Quincy Jones, and Steve Winwood, to name a few. Vinyl has emerged hot, and the soul of vinyl defines art and passion, which burns deepest at night. Tune in every Wednesday. Are you Wednesday serious at about your music? Pacific Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio, to sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com. Welcome to Intersect Radio, where music, faith, and life converge. With your host, Aaron the A-Train Smith. Welcome back, folks. That's my guest, Mr. Glenn Kaiser. And Glenn, before we before we um, resume our conversation here, I want you to tell everybody how to get your music. Uh, tell them, uh, give them your website address and all that sort of stuff to get in contact with you. Yeah, well, the easy thing, my website's www.glennkaiser.com. It's G-L-E-N-N. K-A-I-S-E-R. So it's just glennkaiser.com. You'll find my site. I'm in Twitter. I'm in Facebook. Actually, three places in Facebook. My own page, uh, a solo artist page. I do a lot, a lot of solo gigs. M- acoustic blues, cigar by guitar stuff, and so on. And the Glenn Kaiser Band uh, Facebook page. But gerrecords.com, www.ger, which is three R's, and add a fourth R on top of records. So it's like <laughs> G... R R R R Records, Records dot com, and you can find me and a pile of other artists on our in-house label. Killer, excellent, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Gur. We okay. said, well, Amy Grant had Murr, and so when we came up with a label title, we <laughs> let's do something with guts. You know, with some teeth in it, man. You know. Seriously? Yeah, that's where it came. Is that how that came oh, yeah, about? Yeah, well, well, let me tell you some of the t- some of the ideas for. For the name of the label were just horrible. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Amy's got myrrh. We got. <laughs> well, anyway, and that's what right. people. That's what people thought about us. I mean, they either were like, uh-huh. yeah, you know, 
come up to get Frankenstein with the pitchforks or, oh, my God, can we, when are you guys going to record, right? So, you know, it's like uh-huh. we would tell people back in the day, just come up and, you know, bring a, bring a good quality machine. And if you get a good quality, uh, re, you know, reel-to-reel and tape back in them days, uh, get us yeah. a copy of it or send us the original and uh, please, and, uh, you know, go ahead. So people would stick mics up on the PA and uh, record hmm. live shows. I mean, it, you know, just a bit of Zeppelin in there, uh, all that blues-based stuff. You know, I, I don't know if you knew this about me, Aaron. My best friend uh, from the third grade up, we moved to to West Dallas, a suburb, working-class suburb of Milwaukee. My best friend, I, I thought he was African-American. Everybody did. Had a fro, looked like Hendrix, you know. From the third mm-hmm. grade right on through graduation, he played bass and guitar, a bit of drums. We played in soul and R&B bands, and you know I was very involved in blues early on. And anyway, it turned out it really he was uh, about ninety nine percent Hawaiian, I guess, and very dark mm. skin. And and I saw how he got treated, and uh, how I got treated. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not mentioning this uh, in terms of of your race or ethnicity. I'm simply saying from day one, way before I came to know Jesus, I began to realize that there were issues. And just like the church freaked out over music styles and you can't wear your hair like that and wear those kind of clothes and, Mm -hmm. you know, run around and sweat and all them light cans and smoke pots going off and slop on the stage, yada, yada, yada. It's all demonic or mm-hmm. weird, or as as Christians might say, the old nature of the flesh, right? Well, right. <laughs> yeah, it can be. It can be. But uh, I'll tell you what else I saw from the ground up way before I came to Jesus and afterwards, no difference. Uh, I saw racism. Uh, I saw prejudice against anything that didn't seem, quote unquote, like us, whoever us might be. Mm-hmm. And I saw it between mm-hmm. rural and urban people, urban and rural people. And I lived in both worlds really quite a while, long enough. So I'm, I'm actually still to this day comfortable in both worlds. When I, just before I came to, to really surrender to Jesus, I moved with my girlfriend into an apartment in a, the core area of Milwaukee, which is, you know, sort of a black ghetto, or a pretty rough area. And, and I realized the prejudice, the racism, the stupidity that was happening. And I still saw remnants of that and still do uh, from time to time among folks who at least profess to be Christians. And I'm mm-hmm. a student of war and of the U.S. Civil War and of of the slave trade. And, I mean, being a blues aficionado uh, and even mm-hmm. the origin of guitars and, and even the concept of lament, of, of minor chords, of blues, of... Uh, the sense of pain and enemies and the desire for exodus, you know, Old Testament stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. the biggest category right. in the book of Psalms are Psalms of Lament. Well, all of that stuff, all of that stuff affects and affected way back when what we wrote lyrically. So we would write songs about apartheid and, uh, oh, the failure of success and Irish Garden on our first album about the, the Protestant Catholic divide, which is really more of a, a racial ethnic haves versus a have nots and who's mm-hmm. got political control, all of that stuff. So we were, I can tell you now that I think we probably freaked more people out by what we wrote lyrically. Mm-hmm. And when I would speak, 
I think maybe more people got freaked out by that than the actual music style. Music. And that's yeah, okay with yeah. me. That's okay yeah. with me to this day. Because, I mean, now I'm doing a lot of chaplain's work, and a new project I'm working on is really for prisoners. Uh, lyric after lyric is call response. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I'm doing that. Uh, there's, I still think, I mean, we we only can bring what we can bring, and I'm apparently I'm apparently a white guy whose last name is Kaiser, but being steeped in blues and growing <laughs> up in and dealing with poverty and uh, experiencing things that a lot of white folks in the North never dealt with, I think um, yeah. all that affects what I write and how I think and how I write, and it affects me spiritually, politically, uh, you know, lyrically, and. I, when I go into prisons and jails, I, I'm in Cook County Jail quite a bit here in Chicago. Uh, Mac security prisons all over Ohio, death row with a dear a couple of dear chaplain buddies of mine. Uh, I mean, when you understand how people ended up in the mess that they ended up in, and you also mm-hmm. recognize that some of them really are innocent, and mm-hmm. and in some cases, it's like out of sight, out of mind, man. Just get them off the street. Well, come on, man. I live on Wilson Avenue. People, we see four or five people get shot here pretty much annually and maybe sometimes within a span of four or five months. Hmm. And coming out of addiction and small-time dope dealing myself, I get it. So like a song like you just were yeah. playing, Save Me From Myself, I mean, I ain't joking, man. I've been there. I did it. I lived it. And so I understand mm-hmm. the struggles and the battles, and even among Christians who try to plug in regularly, with other believers, I understand the the struggles of of having honest and genuine relationships with folks, and how do you get along with folks who really think you're an idiot, or think you're just a tool, or this is just propaganda, yeah. man? You're just trying to make a buck, man, off a of religion or yeah. whatever. Trust mm-hmm. me, I've seen well most of my life from 18 till I'm 64 now, man. In and out of clubs, blues shows, festivals, cigar bus guitar gigs, uh, Christian churches, worship gatherings. Come on, man. People are people. It's the same story wherever you go. So all of that shows up in lyrics. It shows up in what I write lyrically, musically, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Man, you got the experience, that's for sure. And, well, um, and it's unfortunate you, do, that some of us have to some of us have to hit the wall before we wake right. up. Right. Because you can tell I, the I real got, you can tell the real story at that point. You know. Well, and I think the, and I think too, I I cannot blame. It is not, it's, for me for somebody else. It may be more convenient. You know, their story's different. Mm-hmm. But but my journey, mm-hmm. dude. I made a whole stack of choices, and I continue to make them. And I'm going to give an account for him one day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, mm-hmm. I totally trust in the mercy and the grace of God. But right. make no mistake, you know, my <laughs> issues come down to me. They don't come down to anybody else. But this puts me in a very unique position to where I think I, I think it's a little, it's a little easier for me not to walk in and make this snap, harsh judgment. I mean, you know, doing surges, doing the oh, Daytona Bike Week. You're talking to people out there, man, who some of them are vets coming back with post-traumatic stress syndrome. We Jesus people here in Chicago, we have a 480-bed homeless shelter uh, called uh, Cornerstone Community Outreach. 
uh, the top three floors of our tenant store, we have 90 to 100 low-income seniors. And I'll tell you, when you listen, when you really get the story, and, and I mean, you know, people can shine a line, right? They can say whatever. But when you really spend time with folks and you get to know, you know, the, the game players from people that are shooting you straight, and you understand why they ended up where they ended up, maybe then that helps also to have a little empathy. And right. it's, 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 you, 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 hopefully I'm, I'm not even, even as close to being as cut and dry or harsh or sharp as I would have been in my very young years, you know, mm-hmm. boom, 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 you know, but wait, 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 put that puppy on safety for a moment and, uh, and get, get into the heart. Where did this person come from? How did they end up where they ended up and taking that time? And I think as you get older, you learn that. Yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, you know, we all make mistakes and we make choices, some good, some bad. And, um, Daily. Of course, there's regret. As there's regret, you know, at, at the realization of that, you know, and God knows I have a lot of those too. But um, I, I have to say, I, I, I'd rather have live this life with those experiences and have salvation rather than to have lived a pristine, quote unquote, good life and not know Christ. I'm totally with you. I mean, a hundred percent. I'm you're, you're right on it. Yeah. I, I'm sorry so, when people, yeah. when people will say, Oh bro, I really, you know, in the church, they'll say stuff like, Oh man, what a great testimony. And I'm like, <laughs> well, well, part of it is <laughs> the end of it, you know, maybe, uh, the first part wasn't so much fun and I don't wish it on nobody, you know, but you know, you're right. You're right. I mean, there's, there's an understanding, you know, it's, it's that old adage it's from, from a, a Furry Lewis uh, tune, uh, you know, uh, what has it been down so long, even down looks like up to me, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. huh, man, <laughs> yeah. And so when I, when I finally drug in the door and surrendered and quit trying to be my own God, man. Because, of course, we're not good at it. <laughs> yeah. And the position is not taken. good at it at all. Yeah. And, and the thing of it is that when you were doing it, you didn't you didn't know that you were trying to be your own God. You were just doing your thing, you know. But when you come to the realization that there is a God and there is a, a God who actually is there and cares and loves you and and wants all these great things for your life and. and but those great things are in the realization of who he is and how you conduct your life and the changing of your heart and your thinking that sort those great things, not, not material great things yep. um, in yep. a sense, Major. but when, when, Major. You, when you get to know that, yeah, when you get to know that you realize that you were trying to do it before that. And well, but, but, it but was Aaron, very different. You and I know, you and I know, bro, that this is not just about inf- information. It, it's about, mm-hmm. it's about relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not theory or philosophy or concept uh, alone. It's, it's not merely some kind of an ethos divorced from relationship with 
someone who's living and and active and and real. And I mean, this is yeah, this is where you know. I think the early Lutherans said faith is a perturbing thing because there's the two sides of it. There, there really is Good Friday before resurrection, before Easter, you know, it, right. yes. you know, and it's, and it's that, it's that surrendering that, that trust as opposed to trying to take what well, some, some old wag once said, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps trying to crawl off the altar, you know, and <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, we 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 want to take back the, the controls, man. We you know yeah. I got a plan, and I'm looking for God and anybody who cares. My my friends rubber stamp it, and my enemies, you know, want to shoot me and mess me up. And it's like, wait a minute, well, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. Glenn, Glenn, yes, let's sir. uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back next week, folks. Glenn has already Please. agreed to that, and yep, it's it's it. amazing how how fast this time goes by. You know, it's been a great conversation. Glenn, thank you so much, and I really look forward to next week. And folks, be back, same time, same station. Thanks. This is Jackie Bertoni from Jackie's Groove. Come join me weekly on my journey through the music business as I take you behind the velvet rope, interviewing industry notables such as Al DiMiola, Michael McDonald, and Al Jarreau, to name but a few. Listen to their stories on being in the studios recording number one hits and onto the stages throughout the globe. Allow me to be your music historian. You can hear me live every Monday at 2 p.m. and every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Standard Time or 24-7 on Jackie'sGroove.com. Ready to get your groove on? Hi, this is Tim Dolbear from Eclectica Studios. I'm a full-time mixing and recording engineer. I work with Grammy winners, labels, and indie artists using state-of-the-art digital mixing and restoration tools and the very best in analog gear. Really, though, it's my ability to bring tracks to life and fulfill your vision for your music. This has made me sought after by producers and artists worldwide. So spend your time working on music and not chasing a mix down a rabbit hole. Go to timdolbear.com and check out our free one song mix offer you know what's all around you every waking moment of your life marketing you're choking on it i'm scott robertson and when it comes to strategic pr branding and marketing i've seen it all and actually i'm still seeing it because bad marketing never sleeps join me each week on may the best brand win right here on inner talk radio and learn how to make the marketing for your brand unforgettable Are you serious about your music? Are you ready to run with the big dogs? The experts at Pitbull Audio have the gear to get you into the game. From leading manufacturers like Mesa Boogie, Fender, Pioneer, and American Audio. To sound your best, you need the best. Pitbull Audio can deliver in rehearsal, on stage, and into the big time. Dropping beats, shredding guitar, or making the crowd roar. Whatever you dream, Pitbull Audio can help make it happen. We are Pitbull Audio. We want you to play it loud. PitbullAudio.com.